Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin, back with part two of Forgotten Sheep's podcast on Darlene Diebler-Rose. Now, I want to go back. Uh, I found some extra notes about a little bit of background that happened before uh, Russell was taken away from Darlene. So the Japanese actually invade the area where Darlene and her husband and some of the other missionaries were at, their missionary headquarters, so to speak. So Darlene was in the mission compound garden when a Japanese soldier comes around the corner. And I think the first thing she saw when he came around the corner was his black tennis shoes. And he pointed his gun at her, and it had bayonet on the end, and he pointed it at her and motioned her towards the house along with her husband and Mr. and Mrs. Jaffrey. And they were informed that they were all now prisoners of the Japanese Imperial Army. Now, these troops, their thing was to ter- terrify people into submission. That's what they did. And Russell happened to be their target that day. Now, Russell had a habit of standing where he would um, hold one hand, you know, down in front of his stomach and then cover that hand up with his other hand. You can probably picture it. You've seen many, many guys stand like that. Well, that's how Russell was standing there. And the Japanese decided they would assume that he was hiding something in his hand. So one of the Japanese soldiers rushes up to Russell, and with his uh, bayonet in its sheath, he begins to pound Russell's hand and strike it over and over and over. And it was a shock troop technique to scare and subdue. Well, a few days later, the Japanese soldiers come back, and this time they're taking the men, but they leave Dr. Jaffrey. They consider him to be an elderly man. And that brings us to where we left off in the last podcast, where Russell leans over the tailgate of that truck as Darlene is handing him his clothes, and he says to her, Remember one thing, dear. God said he would never leave us or forsake us. That was the last time that Darlene would ever see Russell. Well, by nighttime, she was over the initial shock of what happened, and she had turned to the Lord in prayer. And she said her heart ached so very, very bad. And Darlene said as she prayed, the Lord reminded her of a promise that she had made as a little girl. When she had said to the Lord, Lord, I'll go anywhere with you, no matter what it costs. The Lord reminds her of that promise. And Darlene's response when the Lord tells her that is one of the most amazing things I have ever read in a Christian biography. Here she's being faced with separation from her husband and uncertainty and fear and terror and cruelty surrounding them. They're cut off from their uh, from their um, missionary board uh, back in the United States. They're cut off from so many things. And where many of us would draw back and would let fear and would let uncertainty overtake us, I want you to listen to what Darlene's response to the Lord was. She said, I meant it then, my Lord, to the level of my understanding. And with greater understanding, I confirm it to you tonight. It is still anywhere, and I will leave the cost to you. When faced With all these awful things, Darlene reconfirms her commitment to God. What an example for us as Christians. When the 
trouble hits, when the devil attacks, when we're surrounded by the enemy. That's not the time to draw back. That's not the time to doubt God. That is the time to reaffirm our commitment to God. And that's what she did that night. And Darlene said that as she spoke those words to the Lord, that unbearable pain that she was feeling lifted. Yes, she still missed Russell. Yes, it still hurt. It still ached. There was still worry. There was still fear, but it was no longer unbearable. And Darlene said that she was heading into an uncertain future, but she would not be alone. Well, the soldiers returned to the compound, and basically they took whatever supplies, whatever equipment, whatever items the missionaries had, and anything they didn't take, they trashed. And this is included a lot of the wedding gifts that Darlene and Russell had received. And after the men were taken, the only people left at the compound were women and Dr. Jaffrey, who the Japanese considered to be an elderly man. And they were given no rations, but they were also ordered not to leave the compound. And so that caused some problems. They were going to run out of food. But thankfully, their converts risked their lives to bring food to the missionaries. Um, Darlene said one example of something they would bring was flying ants fried in coconut oil. And this sustained them. And here's another miracle. Jaffrey, uh, he was diabetic. And the Lord sustained him with hardly any food where he didn't at that time die or go into some kind of diabetic shock or diabetic coma. Well, the Lord was definitely there with the missionaries. Uh, one night, Darlene thought she heard a rat, and she did not like rats. And so she hops out of bed to go take on this rat, you know, chase it off. And she steps outside, and there's a bandit there, a masked man there with a knife. Now, what do you think Darlene does? I know what I would do. I would run and hide. Oh, no, not Darlene. She rushes him. She runs toward the man with the knife. And he runs. So help me, he runs. And she chases him clear out into the jungle. And as she chases him out there, she sees he's with a group of people, a group of bandits, and they all run. Well, Darlene realizes that this means the compound is in danger at night. And the next night, she waited up for him to come back. Uh, and they did come near the compound, but they'd never tried to come in the compound again. Well, Darlene recognized one of these masked figures. It was somebody that she knew. So years later, she talked to them. And she said, how come you guys never came back into the compound? You know you could have you know, taken whatever you wanted from us, and there wouldn't have been much we could do about it. And his response was amazing. He said it was because of all the people in white standing around the house. And you know, the scripture that came to my mind was, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And that's an example of where a scriptural promise literally is fulfilled in the last century. I think that's amazing. I think the testimony that she had there was absolutely amazing. Well, the Japanese eventually moved the group of missionaries out of their compound and into a POW camp. Now, this trip was scary, and it was stressful. And basically what they did is they took 
eight missionaries, seven very independent female missionaries, and one very independent gentleman, and they put them in extremely cramped quarters. Now, you put a couple of independent people together in cramped quarters, and you're going to have trouble. You put eight of them together, and you're just asking for problems. However, these missionaries were so committed and sold out to God that they were able to live in harmony in those cramped quarters. They were fortunate. They were able to remain at peace. Now, one of the ladies in the group ended up with a very bad infection in her foot after she encountered a large splinter. Now, you know they were in unsanitary conditions. They did have a stream nearby that uh, provided clean water, but that really is not going to help a whole lot with this kind of infection. And the infection got worse and worse until her foot swelled to about three times the size it was supposed to be. They had access to no medical help, nothing outside of clean water to try to treat that foot. And so they prayed, and the lady suffering from the infected foot, she prayed. And did you know, in just a few days, that foot returned to its normal size, the infection was gone, and the foot was healed. And you know, a lot of times we want to see miracles, and we want to see these things, but we forget that most of the time, miracles happen when there's times of trouble. But we've already seen two big miracles here since the Japanese invaded. Soon the group of missionaries was on the move again, and they were told they could only take what they could carry. So um, I love Darlene's approach to things. I understand her. You know what Darlene did? She put on every pair of underwear that she had and four dresses at the same time so she could take all of them with her. I really, uh, I understand that. And I'm sure there's a lot of you listening that can understand her doing that too. Well, um, they spent the night in a church, and that's when Darlene found out there were also children among the POWs. And the next day, they were taken to the POW barracks, which was a former TB sanitarium. Well, when they were finally assigned to a barracks, Darlene found herself in with a group of women from all different nationalities. She was shocked at the diversity of this group. And the first night she was there, in true missionary form, Darlene started a tradition that would remain. They read the Bible and prayed every night. And as these women began to seek God, there was a harmony and a calm in that barracks that Darlene attributed to the presence of God. And that harmony, that calmness, that peace that reigned in that barracks was so powerful that others began to be asking uh, that the Japanese officers would transfer them to the barracks. They began to ask the guards to be transferred to those barracks. And that's because of the presence of the Lord that was manifested there. Well, now the prisoners, uh, they had to work, and they had to work very, very hard. And one lady in particular was struggling with severely infected wounds on her feet, and she fell into a cesspool that she was working with. And Darlene was working with her. They were trying to empty it, but she fell into that cesspool. Can you imagine the horror of that? And with her feet already infected to have that happen. And as I mentioned, there were children in the barracks also, and Darlene noticed the kids, they just weren't being cared for properly. And some of the women 
uh, in the POW camp, as is to be expected, were willing to quote-unquote service their captors. Well, now, eventually, Dr. Jaffrey was taken away to another camp, and this POW camp was the one where Russell was being held. Now, um, Jaffrey was... He was a very upbeat guy. He was very optimistic. He loved the Lord with all his heart, and he would do anything the Lord asked of him. Well, before he headed off to the other POW barracks, Darlene had been helping him keep his hair cut and keep his beard trimmed while he was in prison. And his last words to her before he was transferred to where Russell was, was, whatever you do, be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. And those ended up being the last words that she ever heard Jaffrey speak. But that was the Christian gentleman's attitude as he is facing being shipped to another POW barracks, conditions unknown, probably unsure if with his health he could even survive the journey. But those were his, his last words to Darlene. So as you can guess, uh, life as a POW is going to get harder and harder for Darlene. Uh, The punishments were often extreme. In one instance, a young lady had been discovered for writing a letter to try to contact her family. And as punishment, she was sentenced to be hung. Well, Darlene and the other ladies couldn't bear the idea of this young woman young woman being hung and so as they worked during the day they prayed with all their heart for the Lord to spare her and have mercy on her and guess what that young woman was returned to her barracks in the evening Uh, they had decided not to punish her uh, by hanging now in another instance Darlene had figured out a really efficient way for them to do the cooking And she had cooking duty part of the time. So she goes to one of the guards and explains to them her idea. And she's enthusiastic about it. And she figured they would be happy to hear this too because it would be beneficial for them. Well, the guard was angry at her even suggesting something and struck her. But then turned around and implemented her idea. So it had to have been a pretty good idea. Now, a local man had been caught trying to make contact with one of the prisoners. He refused to tell the Japanese who it was he was trying to contact. And as punishment, he was beaten to death in front of the prisoners. Well, uh, the Japanese realized that these attempts to contact the women were not good. Uh, They didn't like this going on. And so they decided to start an evening guard to discourage them. Darlene had, uh, she had first night's duty. And so, being outside the barracks at night was dangerous for women. Danger of animals, two-legged, if you catch my meaning, and four-legged. Well, Darlene found someone and explained to him that he had to leave because it was putting everyone into danger if they continuously tried to contact people. However, Darlene also had to report that she had seen someone. Well, now, the Japanese officer she reported this to was kind of cowardly, And he insisted that Darlene walk in front of him in the dark. And uh, she was armed with a stick. He was armed with a pistol. And uh, he got got his pistol out, and they go out in the dark. And to Darlene's amusement, his socks ended up full of stickers, and he griped and complained the whole way, which she thought was funny. But she wasn't harmed that night, no problems. 
Now, there was one really funny thing that happened to Darlene. Um, a rumor started spreading through the camp that Darlene was a wealthy Texas movie star who could fly her own plane. Well, Darlene was not from Texas. She was from Iowa. She had never flown a plane, and she certainly wasn't a movie star. She wanted to know where on earth this outrageous rumor got started. And she found out that out of boredom, the teenage boys had decided to compare barracks leaders. And the boys in her barracks had a really active imagination. So that was one of the light uh, light spots in the darkness that was her experience there in the uh, camp. Well, the food they had there in the barracks was terrible. If you suffered from anemia, you know what their treatment was? Pudding made from pig's blood. Dogs were killed and fed to the pigs, and then sometimes they let the prisoners have the livers. And one time, uh, Darlene noticed the soup tasted a little bit like chicken. It turned out a rat had caught a bird, and they had both fallen into the giant soup terrine. So that gives you an idea of some of these unpleasant uh, situations and aspects that she was facing. And she was in that POW camp because she was a missionary, because she had gone with her husband to New Guinea to try to reach the lost. So we see here hard labor. Um, dysentery was rampant in the camp. And a lot of times the prisoners were forced to prepare and feed pigs hot meals while they went hungry. The pigs often ate better than the prisoners. But despite all of this, despite all the cruelty, despite all the evil that was behind that cruelty, despite the powers of darkness that were at work and seemed victorious, despite all of this, the Lord was saving people. And I'm reminded of Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even the most horrible conditions can't keep us from reaching out to the Lord, can't stop us from being born again, even though someone is in a place where it seems the devil reigns triumphant, the power of God is still available. The Lord can still save even in the most utter darkness that we can imagine. And so the Lord was saving people. The Lord was strengthening people. The Lord was encouraging people. And Darlene was about to need some major encouragement and strength from the Lord. She received word of Russell's death three months after he passed away. And she said the Lord reminded her of the promise from Isaiah 43:2 when she heard of Russell's death. And again, this is another powerful scripture that the Lord brought to reality in Darlene's life. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, 
thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So in these unspeakable conditions, the Lord is still there to hold Darlene up, to strengthen her, to help her, and to give her opportunities to witness and to reach people, to do that missionary work she was called to. I imagine when she and Russell headed to New Guinea, they never dreamed that some of their most influential work might take place in a prisoner of war camp. But we never know what the Lord may use us for. Well, now, the camp commander was a gentleman named Mr. Yamaji. And he heard about Russell's passing, and he ordered Darlene to his office. And as he spoke to her and talked to her about this situation and about how her husband had passed, he had the, you know, the information about it. He asked her to please not lose her smile. So apparently one of the things Darlene was known for was her smile. And she asked permission, and this is pretty brave of her, to speak openly with him. And Mr. Yamaji granted it. And Darlene proceeded to tell Mr. Yamaji of Jesus Christ, who had saved her when she was just a little girl. And I'm going to read a quote uh, from, direct quote from Darlene about what she said was in her conversation with Mr. Yamaji. She says, Mr. Yamaji, I don't sorrow like people who have no hope. I want to tell you about someone of whom you may have never heard. I learned about him when I was a little girl in Sunday school back in Boone, Iowa, in America. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. And Darlene said that God opened the most wonderful opportunity to lay the plan of salvation before this Japanese camp commander. And as she spoke to him, tears began to course down his cheeks. And Darlene said, He died for you, Mr. Yamaji. And he puts love in our hearts, even for those who are our enemies. And that's why I don't hate you, Mr. Yamaji. Maybe God brought me to this place in time to tell you he loves you. Isn't that tremendous? Isn't that wonderful how the Lord opened up that opportunity? And how the Lord gave her such victory in the face of heartache, in the face of loss. And you know, the Lord doesn't just do that for special people. He'll do that for any of us that ask Him. And if we're facing heartache, and we're facing loss, and we're facing cruelty, and we're facing pain, that same Jesus that held Darlene up through all of that will hold us up too if we'll turn to Him. Sadly, that's not the end of sorrow and heartache for Darlene. Things are about to get even worse. You know, that's also a good reminder for us as Christians, that just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're not going to face trouble, we're not going to face heartache, we're not going to face problems, we're not going to face horrible things. But what it means is as a Christian, we never face those things alone. And we have the promise of the grace of God to carry us through that. Well, Darlene is going to need that grace. Um, the Japanese had their equivalent of the Gestapo, the Kempe Tai, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but hey, that's how we're going to pronounce it here in East Texas. The Kempe Tai arrived on the island and began taking prisoners from the POW camps 
And one day they came and took two missionary ladies that Darlene had worked with. And two weeks later they came back for Darlene. And apparently they had decided because Darlene was an American, she must be working as a spy against the Axis forces. So they took Darlene to their headquarters, the Kempe Tai headquarters on the island, and it was a former mental asylum. And there, Darlene saw one of the missionary ladies they had taken previously. She was clinging to the bars of a window and in two weeks' time had lost about 70 pounds. Later, Darlene would discover that her entire body was bruised from repeated beatings. And the goal of those beatings, this is what really broke Darlene's heart. The reason they were beating this woman was to get her to confess that Darlene was a spy. And they promised her that, you know, they promised to stop the beatings if she would say that Darlene was a spy because then they would have the evidence, concocted or not, that they wanted to prosecute Darlene. But this brave missionary lady never gave in. Well, when the um, Allies finally gained control of the island and they, were, they went into these uh, Kempe Tai headquarters, they found soundproofed interrogation chambers, all kinds of basement cells. And based on what they found there, and the source for this, what I'm saying here is the Sydney Morning Herald from 1946, the Allied officers sincerely believed that the Kempe Tai were even more fearsome than the German Gestapo. Well, they took over and began to run the POW system. Uh, they initiated a form of sex slavery, calling the women that they recruited to this comfort women. I shouldn't say recruited, the women they forced into this. Um, they were behind a lot of the horrible human experiments that were performed during this time. And typical, typical interrogation methods are horrifying. Electric shocks and intense heat, usually hot irons applied to a person's private areas. Beatings, they taught, should be followed by water torture, which involved ramming a hose pipe down a prisoner's throat and then jumping on his stomach. And so that is where Darlene is. She is now in the hands of those very people. And Darlene said when she was first arrested, they took her Bible away from her. And they told her they wanted her to concentrate on the evil deeds she had perpetrated against the Imperial Japanese Army. Darlene was not a spy. She had not been involved in any type of activity that would be anything close to being a spy. Well, they took her to her cell, and she saw written on the door in chalk the words, This person must die, written in Indonesian. Now, how would you like to be taken to that cell? She discovered she had been taken directly to their death row. Her cell was six foot by six foot. They push her in, they close the door, and Darlene sits down. And she realized that she was singing, Fear not, little flock. And she said she also realized that they could lock that door and shut her in, but they could not lock her Savior out. 
And Darlene testified to the presence of the Lord being so strong and so real with her in that cell. And one of the verses of that song, Fear Not Little Flock, that stood out to Darlene was, Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, the doors being shut. He never forsakes. He never is gone. So count on his presence from darkness till dawn. So Darlene spent one year in solitary confinement. And she said in the past, the Lord had led her to memorize scripture. So she would walk around that six foot by six foot room, quoting scripture and singing hymns. In one particularly depressing day, she could hear a hymn from her childhood being sung outside her window. So she shimmied up a pipe in her cell and held on to the bars of the window and tried to look out and the song stopped. When it stopped, Darlene climbed down and she got on her knees and told the Lord that it was all right that she was there. While Darlene could hear the other missionary down the hall, the one they had beaten, trying to get evidence of Darlene's supposed spy activity, and that woman had gone insane. And Darlene said the sounds that she heard coming from that woman were so terrible and so nightmarish. And to know that it was happened in connection with her just broke her heart. And Darlene said it was... Uh, Eating could be difficult. They were given rice porridge to eat, but it was filled with worms. And the cell was filled with blowflies, and she had to fight the blowflies off just to be able to eat. And she said she was thankful for the food because she knew she could be there without any food at all. And so as a part of her deciding to be thankful, when she's eating her porridge, and one time she finds this nice long worm, she says, Okay, Lord, here it goes, and she ate it. <laughs> of course, you know, that should be a, considered a source of protein, but you've got to admire her optimism and all of this. Well, when she was taken by the Kim, Kimpe Tai, they let her take two dresses with her, and in what she considers a miracle, those dresses did not wear out. However, they did get stained with blood. Not exactly her blood. There were so many mosquitoes that as she would slap herself to try to kill them just on her clothes, it caused stains on her clothes. And she was killing the mosquitoes on the walls. And again, there was so many mosquitoes and they were having such a feast, it was making blood stains on the walls. And the guards ordered her to stop doing that and uh, clean off the walls and not to kill any more mosquitoes. Well, one of my favorite stories out of uh, Darlene's book is the one about bananas. And I included this in the book I wrote, uh, The Hand of God in the Lives of His Servants. There's a chapter in there that deals with Darlene and deals with this, with this story. Well, what happened is Darlene had uh, gotten up there where she could peek out the window and she saw a woman being smuggled some bananas. And she said just an unbelievable desire for bananas came over her. And she said, oh, Lord, could you let me have just one banana? Just one. And she sat down and she tried to think of all the ways the Lord could bring her a banana. 
but she didn't see how it was possible. And so she said, Lord, never mind, that's okay. I, I can see where you can't do that, and that, that's fine. Well, the next day, she's told that she has a guest, and it's Mr. Yamaji, the camp commander that she had witnessed to. And he was there to check on her, and he asked her if she had a message for the ladies at the camp. And she said she did. She said, tell them I am trusting the Lord. Well, he left, and then a guard came back and brought her a gift from Mr. Yamaji. Not one banana. Not a dozen bananas, 92 bananas. And Darlene said she felt so ashamed of herself because she didn't even have enough faith for the Lord to bring her one banana, much less 92. And yet the Lord still answered her prayer. And she prayed and she told the Lord that she was sorry for her lack of faith. And she said the Lord told her, and this is in accordance with Scripture, that he delighted to do exceedingly abundantly above all that she could ask or think. Well, Darlene contracted malaria and dysentery and beriberi all at the same time. And a lot of her hair fell out, and it never did grow back. And she endured repeated beatings by the Japanese over and over and over. And when she was finally released, Darlene only weighed 60 pounds. However, before she was released, the Japanese sentenced her to be beheaded as an American spy. Well, Darlene ended up sick with malaria, dysentery, and beriberi all at the same time. Her hair began to fall out, and a whole lot of her hair fell out and never grew back. And she was beaten over and over and over and over again by the Japanese. And they finally sentenced her to be beheaded as a spy. That was no joke that she was put on their death row. And so the day came that she was going to be executed. And the officer that was reading the charges, he pronounces her guilty and then draws his finger across his throat and slaps the hilt of his sword. And he began to pull his sword out. And Darlene realized at that moment that she was singing in her heart. And the words, the words she was singing, I will live for him who died for me. And as he raised that sword up, and he's ready to behead her. He's ready to carry out the order of execution. Cars come racing up. And Darlene can hear leather boots and officers running and coming up. And someone picks her up. And they take her to a car. And she's taken back to the POW camp where Mr. Yamaji was. Now you would think by the time Darlene had survived all of this that nothing could scare her. But the devil wasn't through with her. He hadn't been able to kill her, so he decided to try to scare her. And here's what happened. The two lady missionaries that Darlene had worked with that the Kempe Tai had taken into their custody and had beaten were Miss Kemp and Miss Seely. 
Miss Kemp lost her memory as a result of the beatings, and Miss Seeley went insane. And Darlene became terrified that the same thing was going to happen to her. She was there in the POW camp back with Miss Seeley and Miss Kemp again, and so she knew what had happened to them, and as she looked at them, the devil told her, that's what's going to happen to you. You've been through so much, you're going to go insane and lose your mind. And so she worried and worried, and she pleaded with the Lord to please not let her lose her mind. And Darlene was so afraid that for six days she couldn't sleep because she was afraid to fall asleep. And she said on the sixth day she threw her hands out to the Lord in desperation, and she began to sing. And it dawned on her that she needed to place her trust in God. And you know, Darlene never did lose her mind. She didn't go insane. She kept a sound mind. And here's something else neat. The Miss Seeley, the one that had gone insane, the Lord healed her and delivered her from that. And I was able to find in one of the missionary journals of the Christian Missionary Alliance from the 1940s after the war, a testimony written by Miss Seeley. And it's entitled, My Beloved Jesus. And she starts this testimony out with a scripture. Two scriptures, actually. Psalm 145, 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. And Psalm 34, 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and exalt His name together. And this is what uh, Miss Seeley has to say. Truly, He has done for me, physically, spiritually and temporally, the exceeding abundantly ever since the war began here in the East in December of 1941. I desire to exalt him in all that I say, and when I have to mention myself in connection with what he has done in my body and outward circumstances, I sincerely hope that all who read this brief testimony and anything that may follow will not think of me but of my glorious head, and simply magnify him who has become, during these last four years, more than ever before, my all in all. The glory be to his matchless name. Well, finally, things are about to turn around for Darlene and the other missionaries that have been POWs this time. The Allies began to bomb the area, and the POW camp caught on fire. So, the guards opened the gates and told the prisoners to go out. They ordered the prisoners out. The prisoners didn't initially know that there were Japanese soldiers waiting for them, armed with machine guns and bayonets, and orders to cut down the prisoners. Well, as the prisoners realized these soldiers were out there, they laid down, and the soldiers, it turned out, were so busy running from ally, the Allies and the bombings that the prisoners were able to escape pretty much unscathed. And the soldiers tried firing on the planes, and they discovered the planes fired back. And it was a miracle that anyone survived between the bombs and the machine guns, but they did. Now, during the chaos, Darlene had been led of the Lord to go back to barracks and retrieve a Bible she had borrowed from someone. Now, that seems totally contrary to reason. You would think that would be the last thing you'd worry about. You'd be thinking, run. But the Lord told her to do that. And she was so sensitive to the Lord's leading and guidance that even though it made no sense, even though it seemed as if it would put her life in danger, 
Darlene followed the Lord's leading. And later she discovered where she had been lying. The earth was charred and there was a shell casing laying there. And if she not had not moved when the Lord had led her, she undoubtedly would have died. And Darlene said as she walked away from that ditch, she promised the Lord whatever was left of her life. And she was 26 years old. She had lost her husband. She had lost everything. But she had not lost the Lord. And I love it that she wraps up that horrifying experience once again by reconfirming her commitment to God. Well, Darlene, for the most part, recovered. When she got out of the POW camp, she weighed a mere 60 pounds. And, of course, it took a long time, but the Lord restored her, restored her health, and she met and married a missionary named Gerald W. Rose, hence Darlene Diebler Rose, who shared her burden for New Guinea. And she was able to go back to New Guinea and go back and do the work the Lord had called her to do. And included with her missionary work, Darlene had the task of translating the New Testament. She would go on and have two sons and six grandchildren. And Darlene passed away in 2002 at the age of 87. And I hope this story of Darlene and what she went through and how she survived it, I hope it speaks to you like it did to me. And I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast, and thank you for listening.